book of Daniel, chapter number 6, verses number 10. Before we read, let's make our declaration of faith. If you have your Bible or your electronic device, lift it above your head and somebody shout, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer and not just a hearer. And my life, again, and my life, one more time, and my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Amen. Book of Daniel chapter number 6, verses number 10, and I want to apologize in advance. I actually have two messages here, and I just want to highlight some thoughts out of Daniel, and I'll come back to the end to, to kind of wrap it up from Daniel 6. But nevertheless, um, y'all just pray for your boy. <laughs> Daniel chapter number 6, verse number 10. That's what happened when you skip a Sunday. <laughs> y'all pray for me. 6 and 10, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three, everybody shout, three times. I love this because he had a consistency in his prayer life. The Bible declares he prayed three times a day, just as he, he had done, had always done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. Then they told the king that, man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to to the king and said, your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God whom you serve faithfully <laughs> rescue you. 19, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully? That's the question that the world wants to know. Does your God work? Whom you serve so faithfully, was he able to rescue you from the lions? Father, now in Jesus' name, God, I thank you for this opportunity to share the word of God with the people of God. Be glorified, my King, in all that's said and done. Help me, Greg McGee, to get completely out of the way, hiding myself now behind the cross. And men not see me, but they see you, God. Let them, Jesus, today, let them see you the way they've never seen you before. I'll be careful to give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory. And it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, amen. Excited about what God has downloaded in my spirit on today. I was actually headed in a different direction um, earlier this week. Um, I'm getting ready to do a, a, a series um, for the singles in this ministry for the next couple of weeks. And I am really excited about it. There's things that God has revealed to me. Um, about the gift of singleness that's going to literally revolutionize uh, this church and, and put us in a position to serve God like we never have before. Um, and I wanted to do that because there, there are times in the past I've, I've talked about marriage and I've talked about relationships and all that stuff is wonderful. 
But as I really thought about it, I've neglected the singles. And I want to do, as a pastor, I want to do a better job making sure that I minister holistically to the body of Christ. Can somebody say amen to that? So I was deep in my study on this because I felt nothing else uh, uh, based on the consecration. Um, Minister Jeff, I went back and listened to the message twice, and it really blessed me. And I was like, God, he wrapped it up. He, hey, he did what needed to be done. But late Thursday, I'm in prayer, preparing for my message. I already got slides typed up, scriptures written out, and God starts dealing with me again concerning prayer. So I, I want to, on this last day of our corporate consecration, there's just some, some final thoughts that I want to add to prayer on today. Can we do that, y'all? Let's do it. So in the book of Luke, chapter number 11, verses number 1, there's an interesting conversation that's going on. The disciples come to Jesus, and the Bible declares, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now, what's interesting about this question is the things behind it that provoke this question. One of the things or one of the several things that I want to highlight that provoke this question of prayer, we find in Luke chapter number nine, when Jesus, he's teaching the 5,000 uh, besides the men and children, the uh, KJV says, and he's, he's teaching them late into the afternoon. And the Bible declares it's getting left late and the disciples come to him and say, Jesus, it's time to send the people away so they can go home and they can eat. And, and Jesus says, no, you feed them. And the disciples retort, well, we only have, uh, you know, five loaves of bread and two fish. We don't have enough to feed the multitude. And the scripture declares that Jesus charges his disciples to sit the people down in groups of 50 and 100. And the Bible declares, verse number 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave, everybody shout, he prayed. Come on, everybody shout, he prayed. The Bible declares he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave to the disciples to distribute to the people. And 17 declares they all ate and were satisfied. The next story we pick up, the scene after this, we pick up in the book of Mark, chapter number 6, verse number 45, where after Jesus finishes this miracle, he sends his disciples on to the other side of the water where he goes into the mountain to pray. And verse number 45 declares, immediately he made his disciples go into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, that last part just blows my mind. It says he meant to pass them by. Jesus wasn't studying them. Y'all on your boat. Y'all do with your row, row, row your boat. I'm going to walk and, and get on to, to, to the land. But you know the rest of the story. They think it's a ghost. They panic. They're like, Jesus, is it you? Peter gets out on the boat, so forth and so on. After this, they get to the other side, of course, somewhere. And the scripture declares about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor 
talking with Jesus. I, I just highlighted a couple of stories that leads up to Luke chapter number 11, verses number one, where the disciple says, Lord, teach us how to pray. I believe in this particular text, what's happening is the disciples are making a connection that there is something that you do privately that makes you powerful publicly. I mean, you go into the mountain and you pray and then you come back out walking on water. What's up with that, Jesus? You got a loaf, you got a loaf of bread in your hand and you look up to heaven and then you break it and you feed 5,000 men and then there's 12 baskets of bread and, and fish left over for us. I mean, you doing some crazy stuff, Jesus. So what I need you to do is teach me how you do this thing privately that makes you so powerful publicly. And this is what I believe, Brother Shugart, in this hour, man, God has resonated. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, Brother Shugart. So I, when people fast, and, and I've heard this from my mentors time and time, that every time they go through an extended fast, God always does something special on the inside of them. And, and, and this yesterday, day number 20 of my fast, God spoke to me, Brother Shugart, and God says that I am giving you the gift of faith. God says that he's given me the gift of faith. So I started studying on the gift of faith and what the gift of faith is. Watch this. Faith is believing in God. But when you have the gift of faith, you possess the faith of God. It's a supernatural enablement to believe God on a whole nother level. And if I'm able to believe God on a whole nother level, I believe that manifestation is getting ready to happen on a whole nother level. Here's the good news. What hits the head runs down to the beard and it touches the skirts of the garment. So what God graces me with, he's also graced you with. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's time to ask for some crazy stuff. It's time to believe God on a whole nother level. And I'm asking God for supernatural. I'm asking God for crazy manifestation to happen in this hour. Can somebody say amen? So I've been increasing my time in prayer like never before. I've been talking to God. My wife and I, we've come into agreement to pray like we never have before. And I'm so excited because I believe God is getting ready to do the, the miraculous, the, the truth. Watch this, signs and wonders following them. So there are a group of people that believe that signs and miracles that they're no longer for this day because we have the Bible. The devil is absolutely a liar. Thank God for the word of God. Thank God for our Bible. Thank God for this living word. But watch this. He sent signs and wonders to confirm the word and God is getting ready to do it. Somebody shout again. So the disciples make this connection. Jesus, there's some things that you're doing that we ain't heard, that we don't know, and we want you to teach that. So Jesus, he teaches them what we know as the Lord's prayer, but in all actuality, it's the disciples' prayer. It's for anybody who follows him, you should be praying these components. One of the thoughts that I like um, from, from Daryl Bach in his commentary, he says the prayer structure is simple. One address, two statements, and three requests. I like that. One address, two statements, three requests. And I want to highlight it just as he laid out this formula. The first address, he said, unto them when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven. Everybody shout Father. Shout it again, Father. Father, this is in the Greek, it's Abba. It's a term of in, endearment. And Jesus wanted you to know that when you approach God, you can approach him as someone who loves you. You, you can approach him as someone who cares about you. Me and my son, uh, the ladies, they were out at a conference yesterday, so it was just me and Nate all day yesterday. 
And Nate knows how to get over on his daddy. <laughs> Nate came to me in my office. I was in that study, and, and Nate was like, hey, hey, dad, you want to hang out? <laughs> I said, yeah, son, what you want to do? He said, well, I want to do something, but you, you probably don't want to do it. And if you don't, it's okay. We can do something else together. I said, son, I'll do whatever you want to do. He said, okay, I want us to war. I said, what you mean? He said, I want us to play card war. I said, how you play that? Well, we need cards to do it. I said, Nate, where the cards at? Well, they're at the store. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we have to go to Walmart to get cards to play the game that he want to play. And I guarantee, praise the Lord, he's going to be playing that game with somebody else. <laughs> Look, look, what, look what Jesus says in Luke eleven eleven. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, watch this, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your, everybody shout, father. Let me just say this. The devil has tried to do an excellent job at marring the relationships between children and natural fathers, and I'll tell you why. Because his thought process is, if I can get you to distrust a natural father that you can see with your natural eyes, how in the world will you be able to trust a heavenly spiritual father that you can't see with your spiritual eyes? But the devil is absolutely a liar. In this year, everybody shout this year. Listen to me. This year, God is healing father wounds. Father wounds, God is healing them because God says, I want you to be able to relate to me in a way that you never have before. And the scars of your past that have hindered you from approaching me as your father, I'm going to heal them. Can somebody shout yes? So the first statement the address is, everybody shall father. Not the man upstairs, not, not the ancestors. No, I thank God for my ancestors, but the reality is any good idea that they had, they got it from God. So I choose not to worship them, and I choose to worship the one who gave them the idea. So we approach God with this term of endearment, Father. The first statement, and he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Everybody shout hallowed. So in essence, hallowed means holy. It's a term of praise. So one of the first things that you should do after acknowledging God as Father is you should bless him, that you should praise him. Why is it important to praise him? Because some, my, my wife already quoted it, Psalms 22 and 3, it says that God inhabits the praises of his people. When you begin to praise God, he hovers over you. In essence, the, the omnipresence of God becomes the manifest presence of God. And this is the challenge with some of our prayer lives. This is why some of our prayer lives are dull. And whenever we talk about pray, you, prayer, you just kind of skip past it. It's because that too many of us, we enter into prayer and we go out the same way. 
When you go into prayer, that should be something transformational that happens on the inside of you. Not just because God gives me what I want, but something transforms on the inside of me because I've been in the presence of the Lord. The Bible declares in the presence of the Lord, there's a fullness of joy at his right hand. Pleasures forevermore. Jesus says, bless him and praise him because when you praise him, his presence shows up. My God today. I was on the, I was on uh, uh, watching the video last Sunday, and I was, man, I, it, it was it was a holy jealousy that I had, pop, because the praise and worship was absolutely amazing. I'm gonna throw Chad under the bus because Chad told me this. Chad said it was so thick in here, and he said he said that dog on Jessica, she's so powerful, she know how to slay herself in the spirit. <laughs> Chad said she slay, she slayed herself. Everybody shout presence. That's the purpose of praise. It gives God what he deserves, and when he gets what he deserves, he manifests his presence in a crazy way. And watch this. This, ter this word hallowed, it means holy. It's one of the highest praises that you can give God. Why? Because holy means to be set apart. So when Jesus is saying, say, hallowed be thy name, holy is your name, he's saying, God, you in a class all by yourself. Nobody like you, Jesus. My wife asked me the other day, and I don't know why we keep playing these games. I said, I love you, baby. She said, why you love me? I said, because you my wife. She said, everybody don't love, love their wife. I said, well, I love my wife. You know what a wife mean to me? I had to explain it to her. You know what a wife mean to me? You're the only woman in the entire world that gets all of this. Wife. Access the bank accounts. Girl scared me one time. We was on the phone with a bank and, and they said, uh, 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 Irene, what, what's, what's your social? And, and she looked at me and I said, what? Tell the man your social. And then they looked at me. They said, Mr. McGee, what is your social? I said, uh, she said, da, 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 da. I was like, what? You got my social memorized? Hallowed means holy. It means set apart. It means that you acknowledge God, that he is God alone, and besides him, there is no other. God is you and then everybody else. Go into praise. Hallowed be thy name. The second statement, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Now, you got to understand, and I really like the way my God bought that he, he, he separates this, the, the statements from the request. Because when you are in prayer, and this is something that I've tried to teach in the past, and I don't think I've done a great job in it, because when you are in prayer, everybody shout in prayer. When you are in prayer, there are certain things that you request, but by the same token, when you are in prayer, there are certain things that you're able to utter from prayer because you're in prayer. So if I go into prayer and I acknowledge God as my father and I begin to bless him and praise him and after praising him, his presence shows up. It's like he's standing right beside me. Watch this. Now I'm able to speak to things. Y'all ain't saying nothing in this place. Come on, somebody. And they got to move because when I speak to them, they ain't looking at me, but they looking at what's standing beside me. So God, let your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. What you got to do is specify that thing, the problems that's giving you troubles. God, let your will be done in my marriage. Let your will be done in my children's life. 
God, let your will be done. Come on, somebody, in my bank account. Let your will be done on my job. When you are in prayer, you don't just ask, but God empowers you to make, oh, God, help me. My, my son, my son, my son understands this more than anybody in, in, in the entire world. When I give you some, you, you no longer have to ask me to use it. When I give you something, you ain't got to ask me. for. I gave my son a car, and not one time with his Memphis and Arkansas driving self, <laughs> supposed to be in Clarksdale, Mississippi. I look at the app, the, app, the boy way in Arkansas somewhere at 12 o'clock in the morning. What you doing in Arkansas? The Lord led me here. You lying. <laughs> I'm here in prayer. You lying. <laughs> I give my son the car, the keys to the car. He don't have to call me and ask me to drive it. If I gave you the keys, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, drive the car. God is giving you permission to command that his will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. So no matter what situation you're going through, you have the ability to look at it and say, I decree the will of God in this situation. I declare the will of God be made. Am I making sense in, in this place? Yes. The third, the first request, give us day by day our daily bread. This is phenomenal because Jesus is saying that you can come to your father and you can ask him for your needs. And he will meet your needs. So ask him. Ask him. Everybody shout ask. Second request, and forgive us our sins. But we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Now, I like the idea that the scripture uses or the analogy it, it, it alludes to that sin is a debt. Somebody shout, it's a debt. And the thing about debt, how many of y'all know what it's like to owe somebody money? And although they may not have asked you for the money, you feel a little certain type of way when you are around them. Well, sin is the debt. And it's hard for you to be yourself, your righteous self in front of God when you got debt. You understand? So, so if I'm going to, while I'm there in his presence, let me go ahead and get out of his debt and ask him to forgive me of my sins. But while you're there, watch the wisdom. If you want God to alleviate your debt, then you need to get rid of the debt that you have. If you want God to forgive your sins, you need to forgive the sins of the people that have transgressed against you. Can somebody say amen to that? The third request is where I want to hang my hat and we'll get to where we're going. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And lead us not, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, um, this is a prayer that I pray often. I pray often. I pray often. And in this season, more than ever, and I'll, I'll share why. This has, been, this has been a crazy moment for me here lately, past couple of months. And, and I've done something on purpose, and I'll share those things that, that I've done. Um... The reason it's been challenging for me is because I've seen so many pastors around me fall into, into craziness. And, and, and not just, not just, I'm talking about guys that in the past pop that I've looked up to, guys that I've even said to myself, man, I wish I was him, or I wish I had what he had, or I was flowing in what he flows in. And, and these guys that I've, I've lifted in my eyes as, as really powerful and really great have done some of the most stupidest things. I'm like, bro, for real? Come on, man. So, so as, as I'm kind of just, just thinking through this the past couple of months, there's some things that I've done on purpose 
one of the things that I did, and this was earlier last year, 2021, is, is God, God uh, challenged me to invite another mentor, another layer of mentorship in my life. And there was some guys, there are some guys that are doing some things in ministry and, and personally in their family that I just really admire and I like it. And God told me to in, in, in adopt them as mentors. And I understand the process of mentorship, so I went to the guy and I told him um, the things that I, I really admire about him, I like about him, and I asked him if you wouldn't mind mentoring me in this particular area. I gave him time to pray about it, seek the face of God. We set up another uh, time. And so this is what I did. When we finally had our meeting, and we talked about the areas that I need to be sharpened and, and strengthened then, this is the way that I ended this conversation with, with this new mentor. I told him that if the devil had one last shot against me, I mean, if he, if he only had one bullet that he could shoot at me to try to get me into something crazy, this is the area I've been the most vulnerable in over the past 43 years of my life. I put it all on the table. Why'd you do that? Because the devil lives in darkness. The devil lives in secret. So watch the wisdom. There are some things that another guy can do and he'd be absolutely okay. But he knows that if you ever see me around this period, you know that I ain't up to no good. And I want you to know I ain't up to no good is because I want to be kept. Never want to embarrass this church. Never want to embarrass my wife, my family. Never want to never fall into craziness. That's one of the things that I did. And then another thing I did, I, I've intensified my, my, my accountability, my circle of accountability. I have pastors that, that I literally pray with every week. And we, the first thing we say, how, how's it been? How you been? What's, what's been your successes of the week? What's been your failures of the week? What's been the things that, that's been troubling you? And, and praise God, I got somebody. I, and, and praise God, my wife is my friend, absolutely. But I need another guy in my, li in my life. Because this time I'm mad at my wife. I ain't studying y'all. Because <laughs> sometimes you're mad at your spouse. And when you're mad at your spouse, you don't, you don't feel like it's hard to pray when we're mad at each other. So you need to stop acting up. Stop making me mad. Thank God for the friend that I have. And it's a layer of protection. But, Papa, I started looking at this particular text, and, and it says, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. So I, I started doing a study. What is temptation? First definition, temptation. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Temptation, basically defined as the enticement to do evil or an act or, or act in an unwise manner. It's an enticement to do evil or act in an unwise manner. But there's a deeper definition of temptation that I want to highlight. It's more than just a luring. It's more than just um, an attraction because these guys that I've seen fall into to dumb stuff, they're smarter than the way that they've acted in the past. I know that. So temptation is more than just she cued or he fine or the money is there and it's like, okay, I can do it and I can get away with it. It's more than that. Temptation, and if you're taking notes, again, please write this down. I'm defining temptation as a persuasive environment that increases the likelihood of decadent behavior. It's more than a, a luring. The key word that I want to highlight is an environment. It's an environment. 
So, so outside today, my, I, I helped my pop a couple of years ago um, build a hot house in the back in his backyard. And um, pop, what what's what's the temperature in the hot house about now? What you think? Okay. So outside, it's 37 degrees, according to uh, my, my phone just a few moments ago, 37 degrees. But in my pop's hot, hot house, it's 60 or 70 degrees. Watch this. Because the environment is different in the hot house, there are certain things that are more conducive to growth because of the temperature and the environment. And I'm telling you what the devil does is he tries to create a physical and often a mental environment that's conducive for certain things in your flesh to produce. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's all that's in the world. And when he comes, he manifests himself in those three things. One of my mentors, he says, girls, gold and glory finances females in fame. So the environment I want to speak to in James chapter number 1, verse number 12, the Bible declares, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. He says, Blessed is the man that endures. Somebody shall endure. Shout it again, endure. So endure is the idea that I am under. I am, I am under. There's a pressure that's over me. There's an environment that's being created, and I have to endure the seasonal environment that the enemy is trying to create. 13 declares, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Enticement is the external thing that's on the outside. And the devil is the great tempter. He is the great enticer. And he is on the outside trying to create an environment that's conducive to the lust of seeds that's on the inside. Am I making sense in this place? Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, before I move forward, let, let me just kind of help you for a second. I mean, real talk, what's, what's the real purpose of the devil trying to bring about temptation in your life? What's, what's the real, real purpose? From, from, from my perspective, this is, this is just Greg. The devil wants me to fall. He wants me to embarrass God. He wants me to embarrass my wife. Um, he wants to wreck my reputation, so forth, so on. But, but here, here's, the, here's the real deal behind temptation. I said this on Friday night that Jesus is the head of the church. Is that right? And we are the body of Christ. So the head has thoughts that only the body can carry out. If I can get the body preoccupied with things that it has no business doing, it won't have the time nor the energy to focus on the things that the head is telling it to do. So temptation, it ain't even about you. But the devil wants to bring temptation in your life so that he can hinder the plan of God in the earth. And some of us are so consumed about our own issues and our own trials and our own tribulation that we're actually missing the bigger picture of what the enemy is trying to do and what God wants to do to overcome him. So in the midst of temptation, Jesus told his disciples, watch the wisdom, 
He says, and you pray, and lead us not into temptation. What exactly does that mean? Because it seems as though that it might be a contradiction, because I just read in James where he says that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Well, what is Jesus actually saying? He is saying, pray, watch this, that in the midst of temptation, you don't cave under it. You don't fall under, because how many know the pressure is, listen, listen, I need y'all to hear me. I understand why God wanted me to minister this final message because the fruits of 21 days of consecration is crazy. I'm telling you what God is getting ready to do in this ministry collectively and individually in us based on what we chose to do to sacrifice to him. It's not just going to be 30 or 64. Somebody shout 100 for a return. God is sending a blessing of a hundredfold return. I'm telling you, it's happening. And if God is going to do that, what the devil wants you to do, God, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Be loud. Come here. Run, run. Be loud. Come here just for a second. Come here. Just put it on widescreen. Wide, widescreen. Widescreen. That's my son right there. Hey, give me that bottle of water, Pop. Give me that water. <laughs> you got a problem? Give me the water? My God. Jesus. I B-Lab, this is what we're going to do. You, you understand this. So B-Lab in college and in high school, he was a wide receiver. So every wide receiver has a particular route they got to run. Is that right? So if you know your route and the QB doing what he's supposed to do, the ball is going to land in the place where it's supposed to land. Is that right? All right, let's do this, man. Come on, come on, come on. I always wanted to be a... Oh! So I want you to run yard and a half left. Come over here, this side. Come on this side. Switch sides, man, come on. Yard and a half, right. Hey, hey, hey! Now this is what I want you to do now. Get over here. I want you to run two yards, then left. But watch this. The QB's play is a yard right but he's getting ready to run a different route and let me show you what's getting ready to happen to the blessing down set hey. the blessing is coming where God desired for it to go the question is will you be there to carry it so 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 here here hold, hold it hold it hold it hold it right here See, see, this, this, is what, this is what we need to understand as members of the body of Christ. Now, if you run the route that God tells you to run and you catch the blessing that he sends, now run it into the end zone. This is what the devil don't want. He don't even mind you catching a ball from time to time. He just don't want you to score for the whole team. 
So you running the route, you catching the ball, really has more to do with what God desires for the entire body of Christ, not just you getting the glory. Come on, somebody. Thank you, son. So what happens when you are lured via temptation away from the route that God desires for you, not only do you miss the blessing, not only do you miss the ball, wouldn't it be a, sh now let's be real. I asked Chad this question. I said, Chad, was it, was it tough these 21 days? He was like, yeah, pastor, it was. My stomach was talking to me. How many of y'all be honest and say it was rough? My man said both hands. Shoot, Sister Marjorie, I got a committee in my stomach. They start talking to each other. They start saying stuff like, the Lord knows your heart. <laughs> yeah. So you mean to tell me I sacrificed this much and then March, April, May, I'm going to run the wrong route and miss the blessing that God had in store for me? Somebody shout, the devil is a liar. The devil is absolutely a liar. Thank you for my water, Pop. So watch this, watch this. I'm, I'm going to Luke 22, 39. Thank you, Jesus. Is that what I want? Yeah, watch this. The Bible declares, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Pray, pray you don't fall. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now, now watch this. Here's a theological truth. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. We all agree with that. But according to the scripture, in order for him to be the perfect redeemer that he was, then he had to not only take on the attributes of humanity, wrap himself in flesh, he had to deny the rights of his deity and depend solely on the Holy Spirit for strength. So, if Jesus wouldn't have depended upon the Holy Spirit for strength, he himself could have caved to the pressure of the temptation that he was under. What was the temptation? The temptation was to go another route other than what the Father had already provided for him. But he pursues in prayer, having a conversation with the Father, if it is possible, allow this bitter cup to pass. But he makes a choice in prayer. Nevertheless, not as I will, but let your will be done. And this is what happens to him in verse number 43. An angel from heaven prepared, appeared to him, and strength, somebody shall strengthen me, Lord. Strength is going to come in prayer. And that's what the devil don't want you to do. So it's good to have accountability partners. It's good. And let me tell you, listen, accountability partners without prayer is a hot mess. You know why? Because every week you're going to be meeting with them, telling them, I did it again. I'm going to say that one more time. Accountability partners without prayer partners is a hot mess. Because accountability partners alone, I'm just going to be meeting with you saying, I fell again, I did it again, I'm sorry. But at the end of the day, I need more than just pity. I need more than just a listening ear. I need somebody that can help me, pray with me, 
take me into the presence of the Lord to give me strength to stand. Somebody shout strength to stand. Strength to stand. But the reality is, listen, I can't afford to fall and you can't either. I can't afford for stupidity and you can't either. I can't afford the dumb stuff and you can't either. And if, we, if neither one of us can afford a fall like that, then it behooves all of us to make sure, watch this, that this 21 days of prayer just don't stop. Come on, somebody. But we continue to seek the face of God every single day. Can you say amen to that? This has been my great fear. All Every year that we do our consecration is at the end of the 21 days, we're feeling so good. And how many of y'all know what it's like to go on a diet or you have this exercise regimen and you, you accomplish it for, for, you know, 10 days or uh, two weeks or three weeks or whatever, and you lose this weight or you get to a place where you're really feeling good and you go and reward yourself and eat all the stuff that you used to eat that got you in the predicament of needing to lose weight in the first place. It's quiet up in here. And, and, and it's my concern as a pastor that here we are, Pop. We spent 21 days, man, seeking the face of God, praying like we ain't never prayed before, fasting, pushing the plate back, and we get back and we reward ourselves and wind up becoming spiritually sluggish all over again. The devil is absolutely a liar. We've got to be consistent. What, 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 I, what I made a choice to do, and, and, and it's been such a blessing. My wife and I, and it's sad, so sad to say. I'm almost embarrassing to say. It's embarrassing. Embarrassing. So me and my wife, we pray. We pray. We pray. We pray. But these last, I don't know how many days or weeks now, days actually, that we've been intentional to actually sit down and ask ourselves the question, what do we need to pray about? What do we need to, what's going on in our lives that we need to invite God in and target his grace in that particular area? And you know what's been crazy? Over the years, m my wife, we both complained about this. Our biggest problem is communication. Like we don't, we, we, we're so busy doing that we don't have time to actually catch each other up with what we've done and what we plan to do next. We both complained about that. Since we've been praying like this, it's like she know exactly what's on my heart, how I feel about it, what I'm, what I'm already doing about it, what I want God to do and what I'm going to do. Solve one of the major problems that we've had over the years. Sitting down and we're actually praying together. And for the husband and wives, if you're not doing that, I want to encourage you to do that. Some of you are already doing it, and I thank God for it. For those of you all who are not, I want to encourage you every day, make time, sit down and ask, what do we need to pray about? Where do we need to target our prayer? Some days it's the church. Some days it's our financial situation. Some days it's our children. Other days it's business endeavors that we got going on. But we're making the time to watch this invite God into situation. An angel appeared and, and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. 45, Luke twenty-two forty-five. when he rose from prayer. Thank you, Jesus. And went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Tell them to get up. 
Because how many know the hour of temptation is coming? The environment of pressure is coming. The, listen, the devil, the devil knows exactly what you like. And he don't want you to manifest the type of fruit that God desires to manifest in your life. Because if you really do manifest that type of fruit, it's not just a victory for you, but it's a victory for all of us. Am I making sense in this place? Okay. I'm almost done. So in my foundational text, I started in the book of Daniel, chapter number six. And, and this was something that I wanted to minister um, week before, actually last week. Um, and and I, I, had it, I had it down to, to, to teach on it. And um, uh, I actually had somebody else coming in to teach and some, some things kind of happened. And so I thought I was going to have to teach. And, and I called Jeff and I said, I got a message. But if God give you something, you can roll with it. Before, before I could get off Marco Polo, Jeff already hit me back. I got some, Pastor. <laughs> All right. Well, roll with it then. I started thinking about Daniel initially, the, the, the consistency that we see in his prayer life in, in, uh, in uh, Daniel chapter 6. And I wanted to juxtapose that with what we see in chapter number 2. In chapter number 2, we see a 911 prayer life. Okay. The king is upset that his uh, magicians can't tell him the dream and interpret the dream. So he has this 911 call with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they seek the face of God, and, and, and God gives them an answer. For, for too many of us, our prayer lives are like that. It's like it's just we just got an emergency line with God. You know, Only time I really spend time with him is when I'm in trouble, there's something going on. And I wonder if there are times that God allows trouble to come just so you can't talk to him. <laughs> but in Daniel chapter number six, we see a different approach to Daniel's prayer life. It's not just a 911 call, but it's actually what I do three times a day, every single day. This is my regiment to spend time in worship, to spend time in praise, to, to spend time thanking him, asking him for his help and his grace in a particular situation praying, praying uh, against the spirit of unforgiveness in my enemies. And so this is what I do. Somebody say every day. So this, this is his prayer life. And so I thought that was going to be like the gist of what I was talking about. And then I started looking at the story in Daniel chapter number six, and I saw a man that was under extreme pressure, extreme pressure, pressure to the point where temptation was evident there for him to back up from his commitment to God. The scripture declares that, 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 that God favored him, verses number one, chapter number six, and he wind up becoming one of the three governors over the entire province, over the entire land. Verse number three is what's crazy. Verse number three declares, but because he had an excellent spirit on the inside of him, the king decided to make him ruler over everybody. What's the difference between verse number one and verse number three? Verse number one was God favoring him. Verse number three was because of him, watch this, doing his best, he got promoted. So in essence, favor got him the position, work ethic got him the promotion. And you got to be careful not to get these two mixed up because some of you guys want God to favor where you need to be working. The Bible declares that a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. You know what a gift is? Gift is grace and favor that God gives you. 
So when God graces you, when God gives you the favor, watch this, it does open up doors and it brings you before great people. But the question is, do you have the character to maintain the door that God opened for you? Do you have the work ethic, come on somebody, to get the attention of the people that God has placed you in front of? So he opens this door wide and Daniel, I'm talking about he blows it up to the point that everybody else gets jealous of him. So they say, you know what, we got to get rid of this dude. I don't like him. We got to get rid of him. And so they start setting up, coming up with different schemes of how that they can uh, uh, get him, you know, to, 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 to back down or get him trapped up in some type of scandal or whatever. His character was intact. And they decided that the only way that we can get this guy in trouble is by, watch this, making up something that contradicts the religion or his faith. You know what they said? We'll make a law where you can't pray in school. And so for the Christians, make it a shame for your kids to bow their own head. And watch this. I deal with it myself because I ask my kids, do you, do you pray? Because it was a time when I was going to school, we prayed in school. It was nothing shameful at all for me as a, as a young guy to bow my head and to bless my food. There's a sense of shame and embarrassment around it now. You know why? Because it's, looked, it's frowned down on. It's looked down on. What do you mean you're praying? They said, the only way we're going to trap this guy up is we've got to make a law against his religion. So they go to the king and they say, king, make a decree for the next X amount of days that anybody that prays to any other God or any other person other than you, that they be thrown in the lion's den. Look at the instant environment of pressure that's created in Daniel's life. Because Daniel knows that if I now pray, it could end my life. My regiment is every single day, three times a day, I go into my house, I open up the window, I turn towards Jerusalem, and I pray, I sing praises, I, 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 I honor my God. Now they've made a law. The question is, are you going to back down from your commitment to God? The scripture declares that he goes into his room as he always did. He opens up the window and he prays and it highlights what he prayed. He first of all thanked God and gave God praise. That's key because he inhabits the praises of his people. The second thing he did is he got in the, his prayer closet and he asked God for help. And I'm telling you today that if you will ask God for help, see the reality is all of us at points or another are both tested and tempted tested and tempted. Test brings about the temptation. What are you saying? Test helps to create an environment that's conducive for an environment of temptation. So with this pressure under me, am I going to back down? What you going to do? Never forget years ago when I was in the industry, uh, we were going to this, this particular, having this conference, and um, all of the guys wanted to go to this. We, we were out of town, and it was it, it, wasn't, it wasn't technically a strip joint or a gentleman. wasn't technically, but it was. And, and everybody, all the guys around me, they were like, um, that's where we're going. And they started highlighting how good the food was and how great it was. And here it is as a young man of God, and, and I'm, I'm maybe 22, 23 or whatever, love my wife, got a family, 
the last place I want to go is into a place that's going to get my attention away from what I love. So I tell my boss, I said, listen, y'all can go. I can't go. And he said, Greg, what's wrong? I mean, it's, I mean, we ain't doing nothing. All we're doing is eating. I said, I understand. I can't go. So my boss go and tell the other employees, listen, guys, we got to stay together. And Greg don't want to go, so none of us can go. So the whole night, I'm getting a whole bunch of ugly looks. <laughs> but you know what I didn't do? I didn't succumb unto the pressure of those looks. Because watch this, before we left, folks were coming up to me, come on, Greg, it ain't nothing, man, let's go, man, ain't nothing wrong with that. Watch this, one guy said to me, ain't nothing wrong with looking as long as you don't touch. And I told him, the devil is a liar, because if I look long enough, I don't want to touch. <laughs> Y'all can act funny all you want. I know if I look long enough, I'm going to want to touch. So instead of putting myself in that environment, in that situation, if y'all want to go, you can go. But as for me and all of this, that belongs to Lady McGee. So this test creates this pressure, this temptation. So Daniel is in a place of temptation. Do I, am I making sense? Am I making sense, y'all? I pray, I pray, I'm helping. So he's in a position do I maintain my dedication, my commitment to honoring God in my prayers and my worship? Or do I shrink back and back up my commitment and either, watch this, not pray at all or I got to go in some closet and pray because these guys are watching me. I'm telling you, it's real. Daniel says, I'm not backing up from my commitment to God. He goes in, he prays, and they come and they see him praying. And you know what they did? They went and told the king on him. King had a, Darius had a relationship with Daniel. And he didn't, they, they were actually tricking the king. King didn't know that he was making a decree against Daniel. And this is what the scripture declares. Thank you, Jesus. This is good. Daniel 6, 19. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel. Somebody shout, God will send an angel. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bishop Hilliard has a testimony that he was, he was in his jet flying to another location. And in midair, the engines of the jet quit. And the, pain, the plane just started plummeting to the ground. And he said, he remember hollering out, angels, bear this plane up. And after he prayed that prayer, the engines started working again. They landed the plane, and watch this, couldn't find nothing wrong with the plane. Nothing wrong with the plane. But you know what? I believe God sent angels to save his life that day. And listen, understand, God is the same, Ooh, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He has no respect to person. And if you call on his name the same way he sent deliverance to Daniel, the same way he sent deliverance to Bishop Hilliard, the same way he's countlessly sent deliverance to Greg McGee, I'm telling you, God will send deliverance to you. Can you say amen? And God, my God, sent his angels to shut 
the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in this sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Look at this, and I'm almost done. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him. He had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions, look at this. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they... Now see, watch this. Daniel's temptation was to shrink back from his prayer life. But if it was Greg and the, you know what I'm saying, my temptation would have been to take out these jokers that's trying to take me out. Because I'm going to take you out before you take. I'm sorry, I still got no good party in, in me. I just do. What I love about this text is God knows how to take care of your enemies. Thank you, Jesus. So I speak against bitterness and unforgiveness now in the name of Jesus. In any way, the enemy has tried to highlight these things in your heart to hate people that have come against you. God knows how to take care of people that's messing with you. 25, the king, then King Darius, look at this, and I'm done. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Everybody shout the world. Look what happened. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His, his kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. You know what verse number 26 is? Verse number 26 is the touchdown. It was a touchdown. Daniel ran this route despite the pressure to pull him out of place. He ran this route. He caught the blessing. And because he caught the blessing, now, watch this. The king, isn't it something? The king issues a decree across the entire known world that the God of Daniel is the true and living God. I wonder what the devil is trying to stop God from doing on the inside of you and through you to be a blessing to other people. And I'm telling you today, whatever pressures you're under, it's not worth succumbing to it. And there's some people that I'm talking to now under the sound of my voice. You feel as though, well, I just deserve this one. I'm just going to get a flesh one last dance. Your flesh, you owe it nothing. The devil, you owe him nothing. Your life belongs to the Lord. So despite the pressure that you're under, despite the temptation, despite the environment that you're under, I'm telling you today that if you pray in the midst of temptation, God will send you strength to stand under this temporary environment of temptation. So those mentors that I've seen and those, those, those uh, father figures and those, those individuals that I've admired from afar off, I understand what the wisdom is. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, we need accountability partners. Yes, yes, we need, to, we need not just, oh, watch this, uh, uh, accountability up, but accountability sideways and down. Thank you, Jesus. 
And God has put that in my spirit. I have people above me that I'm accountable to. I'm accountable to other peers, pastors in, in, in the community. But not only am I accountable to them, I'm accountable to you guys as well. I hold myself accountable to you all. But at the end of the day, it ain't nothing, Pastor McGee, if you ain't spending personal time in prayer asking God to strengthen you in the area of your weaknesses. And just like the enemy wants to see me fail so that other people won't get victory through my successes, the devil wants you to fail, watch this, so that your children won't see success, so your spouse won't see success, so your, your employees and employers won't see success. But the devil is absolutely a liar. Everybody shout, I choose to stand. 